Hello, I'm Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles. Today, we find ourselves in 1936, and the French Communist Party are about to release their appeal to the French people. La vie est à nous. Directors, Henri Cartier-Bresson, Jean-Paul Lachanouis, Jean Renoir, Maurice Lim, Pierre Unic, and André Zwalbada. Director and script, Jacques Becker. Director, editor, and actor, Jacques B. Bruneus. Directors of photography, Henri Alikin, Jean-Paul Alphen, Jean Bourgoin, Alan Duranot, Jean Isnard, Louis Page, and Claude Renoir. Editor, Marguerite Renoir. Actors, Jean Dasté, Simon Goussin, Teddy Michaud, Gaston Mordeaux, Julien Murthau, and Vladimir Sokolov. Jean Renoir and his co-conspirators have made a propaganda film for the Communist Party with so much artistry that the message can almost be overlooked for the style. If we think of the film as having the traditional three-act structure, then the First act is a tongue-in-cheek chanson in praise of France. France, how great thou art when you're not nuking the Pacific. We open with a pastoral of the countryside, which leads into shots of child workers. This suggests the classroom, so we transition to a teacher giving a lecture on French industry, which needs to be subsidized by child labor. Industry leads us to the artistic treasures of France. The churches, Chateau, Paris, the fashion industry. This segment suggests the social, political, artistic, and political life of the French are interdependent on industry. Although I couldn't help thinking, what a cunning web we weave when first we practice to deceive. A little voice at the back of my head was saying, how could industry ever be if culture didn't exist first. All this is but background noise to the main statement of this segment, children are the glory of France, or as we say in New Zealand, children are the future. The film then illustrates how little care France takes of children. The slum children exit the school and go through a surreal landscape that looks like a warscape. They stop, talk for a bit, whistle la cucaracha, and move along to repeat the action. La cucaracha, the cockroach, was a popular song of this period. The film is inferring that these children are cockroaches scuttling from point to point. The album of 200 families is the transition into the boardroom. I can see the link between the children and the family, the link between the family and the boardroom is a little obscure. I think the point is the codependencies of society that the boardroom, in pursuit of material gain over societal cohesion, is destroying, are also destroying families. The members of the board are complaining that the economy sucks and sacrifices need to be made, and presumably they are discussing how other people can be forced to make those sacrifices. 
A high-stakes gambling scene returns us to the boardroom, suggesting that these activities are just reflections of each other. Certainly, the stock market is nothing but a poker game where the chips are people's lives. The people forced to make the sacrifices, the workers, begin to protest, while the fascists are out target shooting. Shooting at targets shaped in human form. With this warning, ends Act 1. Act 2 follows the tide of historical incident that forms the background to current 1936 events in France. We open in Paris on February 6, 1934. A riot breaks out and by February 7, buildings are burning. The fascists march through Paris. Cut to a scene of Hitler speaking at a rally with his voice replaced by the barking of a dog. This is the funniest sequence in the film. You will also note that Mussolini is granted far more respect. The implication is that Hitler is a clown copy of Mussolini and not to be taken seriously. Mussolini is treated as a warmongering figure of death. We see the war dead, the bombing, the trench warfare, and the whole apparatus of death. The only party taking a principled stand against the fascists are the Communist Party. They face police suppression and the assassination of their leaders, symbolized by a funeral. It is the United Action Popular Front who are fighting the Great Depression. In Marseille on November 1935, the fascists exploited the tomb of the unknown soldier for their ceremony. I'm not sure of the issue here, but I imagine it is the hypocrisy of the fascist movement in pretending to give a damn about the war dead when their whole ideology is about creating more. The communist movement rose in protest, calling on Lenin and Stalin as heroes of the people. Recalling the funeral of André Marti, secretary of the Comintern, when this film was released, thus making it a peculiar reference when the man stayed alive many years after this film. Chalk this up to my poor French, and the reference could be that Marti spoke at a colleague's funeral. And the works of Dimitro and Marcel Cachin. Marcel was editor of the communist newspaper La Humanité. Marcel writes an anti-fascist editorial. The fascists prove they can read by attacking the newsboys distributing the paper. The people come to the rescue of the newsboys and the fascists are forced to retreat. On that victory, Act 2 closes. Act 3 opens on a love story on the factory floor. Conditions are dire here and the workers have gathered to plan sabotage. The union arrives to tell the workers, None! We strike! Management is not happy about the strike, yet agree to the demands if the workers return to their jobs. Illustration 1 of the power of collective action. Out in the countryside, a farm worker and his family are being thrown out of their home and are to have all their possessions sold. The other farm workers intimidate the prospective buyers, and the family is saved. In the city, a man, facing a burden of debt, 
jumps out a window, leaving his family to face the financial crisis alone. A beggar walks the streets looking for work. He finds one as a car cleaner, but is soon fired on a frivolous excuse. He waits outside a soup kitchen, but it closes before he can get a meal. Friendly communists take him to a communist party meeting. A choir sings heavenly music about the revolution. There are speeches from Renaud Jean, Martha Desrumau, Marcel Cachin, Marcel Guiton, Jacques Duclos, and Thorez. For the purposes of this review, all you need to know is that these are all stalwarts of the communist movement, and therefore this is a very high-powered meeting. The grand finale is an outburst of song affirming community. Director Jean Renoir was born on September the 15th, 1894, in Paris, France, and he died in 1979. Jean's father was the Impressionist painter Pierre-Auguste Renoir. After World War I, Jean moved from script-writing to directing. Part of the reason for this change was his marriage in 1920 to Catherine Hessling. Jean wanted to make her a star. The marriage founded and they separated in 1930. In 1941, fleeing the Nazi invasion of France, Jean immigrated to the USA, where he remained until his death. Orson Welles and Charles Chaplin called him the greatest director of all time. Despite, or perhaps because of, this accolade, his sometime producer in the USA, Darrell F. Zanuck, is quoted as saying, Renoir has plenty of talent, but he's not one of us. This is perhaps a reference to the socialist politics of his films and its social criticisms. Renoir, over his oeuvre, makes a case that society is a community of interest, not a community of interests. The society that works together survives. Renoir said a film... A director only makes one film in his life, and he breaks it into pieces and makes it again. And also, my dream is of a craftsman cinema in which the author can express himself as directly as the painter in his paintings or the writer in his books. Director Pierre Unic was born on January the 5th, 1909, in Paris, France, and he disappeared in 1945. Pierre was a surrealist poet, scriptwriter, and journalist. He published in La Révolution Surréaliste and participated in ten of the twelve known investigations of the surrealist movement into sex, posed as a series of questions for participants to answer. Pierre was captured during World War II and sent to a POW camp in Silesia. He escaped in 1945 and then your guess is as good as mine. He completely disappeared in Slovakia as he was making his way to France. A fittingly surrealist ending to his story. Director Jacques B. Brunoui was born on September the 16th, 1906 in Paris, France, and he died in 1967. Jacques studied at the École Aeronautique et d'Automobile. He liked it enough that he stayed collected pre-cinematographic artifacts, promoted surrealism, and grew old enough to hate the French New Wave movement. 
Jacques was important in the machinery of surrealist cinema at its beginnings. He was assistant director to Louis Bounoir and an actor for Jean Renoir. During World War II, he moved to Britain to broadcast French-language programs for Radio Londres. Actor Jean Pasteur was born on September 18, 1904, in Paris, France, and he died in 1994. Principally known as a stage director and actor, Jean did track up some impressive film credits. Jean's first film was Jean Renoir's Boudou Salvé et O. He even made films with Jean Vigo until Jean's untimely death and went on to work for Alain René and François Truffaut, among others. History was a shocker. On March the 7th, in violation of the Treaty of Versailles, Nazi Germany reoccupied the Rhineland. No one even bothers to say boo to her Hitler. August the 4th, Greek Prime Minister Ioannis Mextaxis staged a coup against himself so as to rule as a dictator. Donald Trump, who never reads history or anything else for that matter, takes no notes, learns no lessons. This coup weakened Greece for the Axis invasion of 1941. September the 7th, the last known Tasmanian devil died in Australian captivity. October, Joseph Stalin began the Great Purge. This did not involve Joseph eating a large quantity of roughage, rather the excuse was to weed out the deadwood, keeping Russia back from achieving greatness. The real reason was to remove anyone who might challenge Stalin. The result was that, from now until the German invasion of Russia, Russia lacked leadership in its armed forces. Faisant un rêve. Let's make a dream. Director, script and actor, Sasha Gutry. Director of photography, Georges Bernot. Editor, Miriam Borsautsky. Actors, Raimu, Jacqueline Dallobac, Arletti, Louis Baron Fee, Jean Coqueline, Marcel Levesque, and Michel Simon. Director Sasha Guthrie turns one of his stage plays, to be specific, from 1916 into a film. The action is confined to a small number of rooms and, for 1936, there are many long takes using a very mobile camera. Technologically, Guthrie is setting himself the same problems Hitchcock encountered trying to film rope, as if it were a single take, except Guthrie was almost two decades earlier. For instance, the opening credit sequence is of a small dance band. As the sequence ends, the camera pulls back from the band and we find ourselves at a soiree. The camera, still in the same take, moves through the rooms, capturing random fragments of conversation before settling on the main character. 
it is a surprisingly sophisticated form of storytelling to find in 1936. A lawyer finds an associate is planning to have a business meeting with a Brazilian the following night. This provides the perfect opportunity to seduce the associate's wife. The next night, the lawyer is torturing himself over whether his mistress will turn up or not. She does, and spends the night. This causes a problem, as they now have to come up with a believable excuse for her husband as to why she was out all night. Just then, the agitated husband comes knocking on the door. Wife is quickly hidden away, and husband enters. He has come to his friend for advice. He has spent the night in the arms of his Brazilian mistress and now needs to come up with a plausible excuse for his wife for his all-night absence. The lawyer concocts a scheme that will have the husband out of the town for two days. I originally wanted to see this film because Remu plays the husband. It didn't take me long to realize this tale of infidelity has much more to offer. Director Sasha Gutry was born on February 1, 1885, in St. Petersburg, Russia, and he died in 1957. Sasha's father, Lucien, managed the Théâtre Michel in St. Petersburg from 1882 until 1891. Finding his French name to be too much of a mouthful, Sasha's Russian nurse shortened it to Sasha, which he went on to use as his stage name, first appearing on stage when he was five. When the family returned to France, Lucien was considered the most distinguished actor in the country. He sent Sacha to the Lycée Janson de Sally. Sacha was not impressed and was moved from school to school, abandoning his education at the age of 16. He debuted on the French stage in 1902 and joined his father's company in 1904. They had a subsequent falling out and then refused to speak to each other ever again. Sasha had been having his plays produced in France from 1902, but in 1906, this aspect of his career really took off when he appeared in a play he had written himself. He was able to build on this profile so that in 1912, he had three smash hits in the same year. He was nothing if not prolific. Sasha made his first film in 1915 as patriotic propaganda. It turned him off cinema as he felt, without words, cinema had nothing to offer. When sound arrived, so did Sasha, with a vengeance. An English critic wrote of his work, It may be objected that his characters are nearly always trivial, their motives at least sensual when not base, his world is inhabited by an idle, cynical, and pretty disreputable crew. His plays are composed of carelessness, written in execrable French, and what he did as an author was to exploit. Most of the objections to his work are well-founded, and it is with the weight of their truth that Sasha Gutry remained a great artist. The much-married Sasha said, When a man steals your wife, 
there is no better revenge than to let him keep her. To the writing fraternity, he observed, You can pretend to be serious, but you can't pretend to be witty. Births May the 1st, Danielle Ouellette, the French filmmaker who died in 2006. June the 27th, Genevieve Fontenelle, the French actor who died in 2008. Montpierre avant raison. My father was right. Director, script and actor, Sasha Guthrie. Director of photography, Georges Benoit. Editor, Miriam Bosowski. Music, Adolphe Bochard. Actors, Serge Grave, Gaston Dubosc, Paul Bernard, Jacqueline Debelac, Betty Dasmont, Robert Saller, Pauline Carton, and Marcel Levesque. Another of Monsieur Guthrie's stage plays hits the big screen. This one is set in a single room over a 20-year period. The theme is the cycle of history. The film begins when Charles Ballinger, a slightly uptight, even arrogant, architect, is visited by his father. Ballinger, the elder, is making a courtesy call because Charles's wife made a call on him that was missed. Ballinger, the elder, asks if everything is all right with the marriage, and Charles assures his father that all is well. Father then drops his bombshell. He's going to live life. He will pursue wine, woman, and song. The straight-laced Charles is shocked. Ballinger Sr. argues his case and tells Charles that, given enough time, he will see the wisdom in this philosophy. Ballinger Sr. takes his leave. Charles receives a phone call from his wife. She is leaving him. Twenty years pass by. Charles gets a visit from his son's current girlfriend. She complains that the son refuses to commit to the relationship, as if he fears getting hurt. Charles assures her there's nothing a romantic holiday to Venice can't cure. When the happy couple return from Venice, the house is in an uproar. Charles's wife has returned, demanding to be taken back. He has rejected her and decided, after 20 years of living for others, he will live life for himself. He recalls the words of his father and realizes his father was right. Telling the film in the setting of a stage play puts the emphasis on the words, which are important as the play is about logical arguments. When his wife returns, she argues, for instance, that as they are still married, he has to take her back. Charles argues that as 20 years have passed, they are different people now. He will not accept a stranger in his house. Deaths were a downer that kept on giving. On. February the 2nd, Georges Vacher de La Pouge, the French anthropologist born 1854. March the 16th, Marguerite Duran, the French feminist and journalist, born 1864. August the 1st, Louis Balriot, the French aviation pioneer, born 1872. September the 14th, Raoul Villain, 
the French murderer, acquitted, born 1885. September the 21st, Henri-Louis Le Chatelier, the French chemist, born 1850. Next episode is our all-Western production, unless you're a Buzzsprout or Patreon supporter. In that case, the next episode looks at the history of Emil Tichbein in the 1930s. If you're interested in more films from the 30s, then Movie Chronicles 1930 is nearing completion and will soon be released at an e-store near you. Don't forget to become a Buzzsprout or Patreon supporter to access the bonus materials. Until then, brush off your chaps, polish your spurs, adios amigos.